Good morning, everybody. My name is Chad, one of the pastors here. Joy to be with you. I want to say hey to everybody online as well. And actually, I was just back there. Jenny, let me type a message to Epic Life because they're so excited to be with us. But hello, Epic Life. We are thrilled to uh, have you with us. As Daniel mentioned, they uh, were sent out from this church and our sister church there in Seattle. And so just thrilled to be able to minister together. Um, also want to say hey to college students who are here in town, college students who are out of town. Hi, Maya. Um, and uh, to college students who are about to go out of town. I see a couple here in church. And it's just big time of year and a lot of anxiety and a lot of things thinking about, is it going to keep going? Are we going to stay online? Are we going to stay in person? Is it going to go to online? And lots of things to pray about. So I want to pray and just ask for the Lord to meet us here uh, as we dive into his word. So pray with me. Lord Jesus, uh, we miss you. We miss you. Uh, Lord, we know that uh, you are going to be coming back. We know that that time is set, that there are a lot of things that need to happen, lots of hearts that need to be drawn to you. And God, that you use things like pandemics, and the craziness of who might be president or wars and things that we would say, how could you possibly use that? But we look to your word and it says that you actually work all of those things for good. But we still say we miss you. Uh, Lord, we want to be face to face. We know that your word says now we see kind of like in a mirror dimly. It's a reflection. It's not crystal clear. Um, but God, we look forward to that time when we will know you in person. And for now, Lord, you've given us your word. You've given us um, the wonderful privilege of being the church, of uh, being the church gathered. Lord, I could not have believed how much I would love uh, the gathered church until we went through coronavirus. And so it's good to be together. Uh, it's good to be connected by your spirit for those of us who still are scattered. But would you meet us this morning? Would you help us to understand your word? Uh, Lord, would we be drawn to you and changed? In Christ's name, amen. amen. We're in Luke's gospel. Uh, if, it's, if you've got a Bible and you want to flip to it, it's the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. He was a doctor um, who was writing to a friend named Theophilus. And that guy was a seeker, a skeptic, trying to figure out if this whole Jesus thing was what everybody was saying it was. And so Luke wrote this gospel so that his friend could have assurance, certainty. And it is passed on to us as God's word. And when we come to it by God's spirit, by his grace, the words can be as if they were just written and to you. And so I want to ask you this question though. We've, we've titled kind of a subtitle to our series, Luke's Gospel is the most important story in the world. If you were to ask somebody today, what's the most important story right now out there? People might say covid coronavirus, pandemic, the economy. Uh, if we live in the United States, you might say, well, the election is the most important story out there. That's what everybody's talking about. Uh, you might even say, uh, if you're very patriotic and you're kind of thinking through these things, you might say, well, the Republic itself is the greatest story right now of whether or not we're gonna continue to have what we've always had. Maybe it's a little more personal. 
And you would say, actually, the most important thing right now in my life is the fact that my family member is sick. Or actually, the most important thing right now is I'm struggling to make ends meet. I'm anxious. I'm worried. This morning, and I think this is why we come to the Lord's word. This is why we come in to his presence. Jesus would invite you to hear that his story is the most important story in the world the most important thing you could hear about. So no matter where you are this morning in your heart, whatever you're bringing to the table, that could be anxiety, that could be fear, that could be indifference. You're like, eh, I know this stuff. Maybe doubt. Jesus invites you once again to hear his heart, to hear his word, the only truth and indeed the most important story in the world. Yesterday morning, um, before I started what was a really full day, lots of stuff going on at our house, lots of stuff to to do, and uh, which one thing started with Caleb, Abigail, and myself uh, loaded up 1,340 pounds of trash. <laughs> yeah, how about that? And uh, had to take it to the dump. And so that's what I did for first couple hours yesterday morning. But before all of that started, I was with the Lord, spending time with Him, and sitting there. And it was one of those moments when just felt like my heart was lining up. And I kind of got to the end of the reading that I was doing. I've been thinking, and I was going to pray, and I was going to kind of do the quick prayer. Thanks, Lord, for your words. Good thing. Got to get going. Got 1,340 pounds of trash to load up. But it was weird. I felt like the Spirit just said, hmm, sit. Sit still for a second. And man, I, I have not had in a long time the kind of just conversation with the Lord and prayer that just felt so real and so natural. And I wasn't trying to get through a list. I was just talking. I was just talking to him. And I just felt his presence. I understood the word was connecting to my heart. And that's what we want. That's what we want Jesus to do for us. Thus far in this story, we've had the angel Gabriel deliver two messages one to Elizabeth and Zechariah, uh, who we're going to meet again today, a senior citizen couple who got the wonderful news that they're going to have a baby. He's going to be in a very important baby. And Zechariah decided, yeah, I don't know if this is really true and got struck with silence for nine months. Um, as Joe kind of walked us through last week of Mary's song and Mary visiting this Elizabeth and them connecting over the fact that her baby is not just going to be a voice for God, it's going to be God. It's going to be the son of God in a teenage girl's belly. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> That's pretty intense, isn't it? And so we come to these two Women, very different. Zechariah, Joseph, kind of on the side. We haven't heard much from him yet. But uninvited, uninitiated, nothing about them that made any of this happen. God's grace at work. We come to Luke chapter 1, verse 57. And so the promises have been made. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. And now we get to see something happen. Okay, Luke 1, 57, if you have your Bible, turn there or your device. You can also see it on the screen. If you're watching from home, it will also be on the screen there. Just two verses to start. The time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. Surprise, surprise. 
Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. So the time came when it was time. Let's just talk about that phrase right there. Just timing, God's timing. You got to read in between the lines of scripture sometimes to fill in the backstory. So I want to know before that time came, what was it like in Zechariah and Elizabeth's house? Senior citizen getting pregnant. I'll just say this for Lisa and for me, when we got word that there was this little tiny human being in Ho Chi Minh City, in a crib, in an orphanage with 30 other babies in the room. And I knew that that little girl was my little girl. And I had to wait two months and actually three months and four and five, six months. I knew she was in the world. I knew she was real. She was alive. And I'm sitting there waiting to see her. There's some anxious moments. There were anxious moments when we waited, we saw this happening, Caleb and Abigail, and you're watching and waiting for this to happen, but there's anxiety. So throw on top of that, that Zechariah didn't exactly do a great job of listening to the promise. If you look at the, just a few verses back when he's in the temple, the last thing he said was, I don't believe it. You know, like, here comes the lightning bolt from God. It's probably not what it was, but either way, he couldn't speak. And we'll see later that he couldn't hear either. You're going to see that later in the text because people, when they talk to him, they do motions. If he could hear, why do motions? So he's deaf, he can't speak. And the last thing he said was disbelief. You think Elizabeth was a little ticked off at Zechariah? I imagine after the whole temple thing went on, he comes out, people know something amazing happened in there. They finally get home and she's like, smacks him on the shoulder. You fool. Why didn't you believe? So maybe there were some tense moments over those nine months. He's silenced and he can't hear for nine months in their marriage. And Elizabeth is like, it was so good. (laughs) It was so good for him to be quiet. Um, He had communicated somehow, but here's what I started asking. Um, Now think about this, communication in marriage is hard enough. And if the last thing that you said was bad, like I can't go, I can't even go to bed. If I I say something or if I've got a little attitude or something towards Lisa and I know there's a rift between us, it takes me all of about five minutes before I'm in there just mea culpa owning. What did I, I don't even know what I did, but I'm ready to own it. Like that's gonna, I just, I just can't stand it. So nine months, he can't say, I'm sorry. He can only do this and maybe write some things down, but it's not the same. What was going on in his head in that silence? Because make no bones about it, he got in trouble. He was in God's class and he was caught not listening, not believing, and God said, detention. Time out for nine months. What do you do when you get in trouble? Or maybe when you used to get in trouble. Well, still, when I still get in trouble. What do you do when you get in trouble? You start, I'm so sorry. I will never do that again. I promise I want to do better. Why do we even care? If we didn't care, we would just let it go. But why do we care? Because we have a thing called a conscience. And before you know the Lord, you just think it's your conscience. After you know the Lord, guess what that is? 
Holy Spirit, <laughs> he's talking to you. He's telling you, you can't let this go. You've got to do something about this. You should care about your wife. You should care that you blew it. So he's got time to reflect. He's got time to work on things. And his home life has been disrupted. Maybe he's a little more sheepish. He's a little more humble, for sure, a lot more quiet. But something amazing happens when the Lord lovingly disciplines us and takes his hammer and chisel to our hearts. Tick, 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 tick. Starts to chip away at things. We soften, we change. We start to learn about the ways of the Lord. And what simple lesson does Zechariah learn here? It's this, God will do what he says he's gonna do. Simple, God will do what he says he's gonna do. God said Elizabeth would have a baby boy and surprise, she had a baby boy right on time. Now we complicate things with Jesus. Unnecessarily, we complicate things with Jesus. We think his promises are for some uber spiritual future thing or something, you know, not really for down to earth, day to day life, or it's like, that's the past. We don't think they're for now. So let's look at just one basic promise. Let's take Zechariah's basic lesson that God will do what he says he's going to do. And let's apply it to something like just number one promise in scripture that you get. Number one truth you get in scripture. It's this, God is our creator. He made us. We're made in his image. And guess who we answer to? Him. Just that one truth. Let's just go with that one for a second. Because we, we like to think this isn't the case. And if you asked 10 people around the world, nine out of 10 of them would say, no, I answer to nobody. I answer to me. Now the Bible says, this is what's true. So let's look at that promise and let's think of it like it's a baby that's gonna be born. Your whole life, you could say, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. When all along, it's like starting to show your conscience is being seared. The Holy Spirit is talking to you. People are coming to you. You're hearing God's word. You're pushing it away, pushing it away. I'm denying it. Nope, 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 nope. Guess what? At some point, that baby will be born. Just for that one promise, you will be standing in front of God himself, and you will say, oh my goodness, it's a king. It's my king. It's my judge. It's, it's all true. I, it's all true. I thought it wasn't. I thought it was just spiritual talk. I didn't think I would actually be standing here before the judge of the world. But here I am, my creator. Yep. What you said, that baby was born. I am definitely standing here in front of my creator. I didn't think it would happen, but what God says he is going to do, he does. He does. Think of some other yet to be fulfilled promises in scripture. First Thessalonians 4 is a great one. The return of Christ. Is that baby going to be born? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. What if we actually believe that? Something amazing happens when we actually take God at his word. We begin to think first about what he thinks. First, not later, not on Sunday, not, oh shoot, I haven't had my time with the Lord in a long time. I better do something first. 
Not about what we think, not about what somebody else thinks, although that's how the world is operating right now, isn't it? What is everybody going to think? I'm afraid to say, because they will think this about me. Let's watch what happens because Zechariah is being forced to listen. Look at verse 59. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. They would have called him Zechariah after his father. Zechariah Jr., he's here. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, what? None of your relatives is called by this name? And they made signs. There's the clue. He couldn't hear. They're like, baby, nah. You know, like they're, they're making signs to Zechariah. What do you want him to be called? Zechariah asked for a writing tablet, which back then, which would have been a piece of wood with wax on it and something to inscribe. And he wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. So you can imagine the hubbub around this little one. First of all, Elizabeth is a senior citizen, has been steadily causing many an eye to turn and jaws to be dropped on the dusty streets of her town as she's pregnant. And they're like, look at that. So there's interest, maybe a little skepticism. Maybe people thought, well, I mean, it's got to be some kind of fluke. I mean, she's so old. It's biologically possible, but she's probably not going to carry it full term. That baby's not going to make it. Maybe there's half-hearted celebration. You're pregnant. Wow, that's, that's, that's amazing. How, how old are you? Don't you hate it when that happens? When God does something amazing in your life, somebody, he's spoken to you, things are happening in your heart and you tell somebody and they're like, yeah, that's great. Yay. That's what she's getting. Others dismissing the work of God in her life. So when they hear she's going into labor, what? You mean she didn't miscarry? I thought her pregnancy was a rumor. Maybe the priest isn't losing it after all. Maybe God really did speak to him and he's not faking this whole thing. But there's always a desire and inclination in us to take over for God. Maybe he did something at the beginning, but now it's time to get practical. Let's leave the supernatural stories at church and let's start acting practically. Where we see this happening in the story is everybody jumps in with a boy. Well, tell the neighbors that Zechariah Jr. is here. John, you have no John in your family? That just won't work, honey. Just imagine the people coming around her. Like a lot of these women coming around Elizabeth. She's there. She's just gone through this thing. Here's this baby. You know our customs. You know our traditions. It's just there's a way to do things. And this is not the way. Come on now. Do what's accepted. Do what's accepted. They make the hand motions to Zechariah. And what's he write? On the outside, we see that he writes, his name is John. I want you to keep questioning though. What was, what was he writing? What was the underlying truth? What just happened in their life, Zechariah and Elizabeth? It's this, and it should be happening in our lives as well. Jesus interrupts the way things ought to be done. Jesus interrupts the way things ought to be done. You're going to experience this in your life, even if you don't want it to be true. He will interrupt. What was Zechariah truly writing? What truth was he declaring? He'd been in timeout for nine months. And here's what he's writing. What God says 
is what I'm going to say. What God does is what is important. What he asks of me, I will do. What he requires of me, I will give to him. What's his message to us? Listen, 2020, United States citizens, citizens of the world, give way in obedience to God's plan, no matter what the culture is telling you. Listen to him because eventually, I don't know how many times I can say this and I'll say it until you guys won't let me up anymore. He will do it anyway. He will do it anyway. You will be standing there. Like we said, that baby will be born. You will know that his plan is the only way. Now here's something, just current 2020 stuff. This is harder than we think. And this decision to follow God's way versus the world's way versus the culture is going to get more and more difficult. You are going to face in the next few months, in the next few months, and in the next few years, in our country and in the world, you're going to face in increasing measure and intensity the opportunity to follow the Lord or to follow the world. It's coming. It's already here. He will give you that opportunity. Custom and tradition at this time would say, name the baby Zechariah. But custom and tradition bows the knee to God and his will. And while this name change may seem like a little simple element in the story, it's just the edge and fringe of what God is up to, of what he's doing. Here's the, here's the little truth. Our simple obedience in small things points to a bigger story underneath. Zechariah shows us there's much more going on than just a name change. Let's look what happens. Verse 64, immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God, praising God, fear and awe came on all the neighbors. All these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, which is a fancy way of just saying they were really struck. They were really going, what's going on? How is this happening? Who is this kid going to be? What will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Instantly he could speak again. And he didn't say this, finally, man, Lord, that was harsh. That was a long nine months. Why did you do that to me? What does it say he did? Praised God, worshiped him. Something happened. Something happened in his heart. Nine months must have felt like an eternity, but for God, it's a perfect amount of time in God's artist's studio. Zechariah is this big block of marble and God has been chipping away with a master sculptor's stroke. And guess what's coming out? a man of God, somebody who is giving way to the will of God, becoming who he wants him to be. I like to imagine Zechariah during this time. So he can't hear noises. He can't speak. So lots of time to listen and to think. And I like to imagine God's voice to him, speaking to him. And I don't know why I always imagine God's voice is deep and compassionate, and firm, and tender. And I hear him maybe saying something like this, Zechariah, I love you. I know you've studied the Bible. And if you're a priest, you got tons of it memorized. So there's no doubt he's, he's learned the Bible. 
Because that's good. Those are my words. And yet, my words apart from me, apart from relationship with me, leads to just religious activity, which is dead. It's time to listen. It's time to listen to only one person, me. Time to listen to me, hear my voice, hear the cadence, the timbre, the tone, the words, the truth, the love, and absolute perfection that I speak. And I imagine Zechariah during those nine months going, can't speak. So he's like, I'm your man, God. I'm listening. So in other words, the words of scripture, the promises of scripture always lead you to the source, to the one who is speaking. If not, it's just religious drivel. Even Jesus said this to the Pharisees. He says, you search this book. You're looking through it all the time. And yet you can't seem to find out that it's all about me. So does the Bible mean anything to them? Does it matter that they quote scripture if they don't have Jesus? It means nothing. It's drivel. To Zechariah, God is saying, you have to connect it to me. We're watching a man who was proud and skeptical, who knew huge portions of the Bible by memory and was a priest, no less, move from the inability to hear or speak to a place where he is the earpiece and mouthpiece for the Lord of heaven. Amazing. And as I think about this, and I pray about this simple story, simple truth in Luke's gospel, I think about this. In our time and in our cultural moment, if there ever was a time to listen to Jesus, if ever there was a time to listen to Jesus, it's right now. Let me just wax a little bit about uh, the things that we're drawn to. And I mean me too, okay? Every single moment of our lives is driven by, connected to, filmed, filtered, posted, commented on by anyone and everyone but God. If we give him any time at all, it's maybe just a quick shot in the dark on a Sunday, maybe a little time in the morning. And I'm talking to myself, go to any place, watch any event, take a hike up the most beautiful mountain, sit on the most serene beach, eat at the most exquisite restaurant, whatever it is, and you will find almost everybody ready to ruin it, including me with our phones, not far from our reach. You seen this? I know we don't see each other very much anymore, but when we do, and we're all ready too, we've got them on our hip ready to pull it out and take a picture, search for something when I'm a little bored after 10 seconds. And it's, they're calling to us, aren't they? It entices us. I sit in my time with the Lord in the morning, my phone's off to the side and I'm, I'm reading and it's, I can hear it, even if it isn't making noise, calling to me. Maybe you should check that email. Maybe you should see what happened on this thing. Maybe just quick. Somebody, somebody where is saying something, posting something that I need to listen to, I need to look at, and I need to be enraged by. Right? There is a cacophony of words. Opinions, half-truths, made-up truth, outright lies, misinformed anecdotes, accusations, people who say, I never comment, but I just have to say something now. Right? And I am including myself, okay? And we go on these diatribes and we're absolutely flooded with the sewage of our own hearts. If there ever 
was the time to listen to Jesus. It's now. And don't think that your thoughts are off limits just because you didn't put it online, just because you didn't say it out loud. If it's happening here, it's recorded. It's recorded. (laughs) If ever there was a time to listen to Jesus. So I come back to Zechariah, the forced silence, the time of listening, the focus, the quiet, the clarity from God finally brings him to the point of truly having something to say. Nine months. Try that on your next reaction to a post. Read it, get mad and say, Lord, I'm going to comment on this in nine months. You'll forget it by then, won't you? We can struggle just to do the next day. Can I tell you just a little side thing, something that the Holy Spirit does for me when I want to interact? One, I just don't interact online other than to say, hey, here are my, here's my beautiful wife. Here are my kids. Isn't this great? Look how beautiful. Look how, that's it. That is something God did for me. I just don't do it anymore because it's not real. <laughs> it's not real. But I'd give you just a tip, just a small thing would just be to say, wait a day. Just wait a day. You see something, it fires you up. You think, I just have to say something. Wait. Our little thing we said last year, pray before you post. Just wait, sit on it. But he has something to say now. He's been sitting long enough. He has something to say. And he instantly doesn't say complaining things. He begins to speak truth and people are riveted. Awe is on the whole neighborhood. They're talking about it throughout the towns. Something's happening. What is this kid going to do? What will this child turn out to be? The hand of the Lord is surely upon his life. In other words, God is surely involved here. We can't ignore it. Who is this kid? What will his life look like? Notice as Zechariah is forced to listen, everyone is forced to listen. Isn't that weird how God does that? God will take your time in quiet and solitude with him and turn it into an opportunity for others to hear his voice. So he speaks for the Lord. And this is a little bit longer section, but just listen to the truth. Some of it's going to be very familiar, but of all the things that Zechariah could say, listen to these next few verses. Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He's here. He has visited us. He has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us, which is another way to say a king. He's brought us a leader in the house of his servant, David. He's, he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to us, promise to our fathers. He's remembering his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to Abraham all the way back to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my little boy, I used to do this with all my kids at late at night. Another little tip for young parents, kiddos that won't go to sleep. And you're there walking around that room being like, you have to go to bed. You have to go to bed. I know it. Okay. We've all been there. Take a couple minutes look them in the eye as they're wide awake at two in the morning and say, hey, listen here, little one. You want to know who you're going to be? You're going to love Jesus with all your heart. He's going to use you for his kingdom. 
He's going to do amazing things in your life. You're going to be caught up and swept up in the wonder and the glory of God. You're not going to be somebody who gives themselves over to a lifestyle of sin. You're going to be one who's set apart for him. I'm going to tell you, you'll make it through a little bit better. But I used to do this with my kiddos. So that's what he's doing right here. You, my son, my boy will be called the prophet of the most high. You're going to be his voice. You're going to go before the Lord to prepare his ways. And here's what you're going to tell people. You're going to give them knowledge of salvation. In other words, you're going to tell them how to be saved. And what's it going to be? What's the message? To be forgiven of your sins. Pretty simple, isn't it? Because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. You can imagine Elizabeth here. She's like, you go from silence and you never said anything before other than like, where's dinner? And now you're like the sunrise from on high. It's obvious God's got a hold of this guy to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And then it tells us just like one little sentence about John. It says the child grew and became strong in spirit and he was in the wilderness socially distanced until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Zechariah's obedience in a simple thing, a simple, simple thing. His name is John. Ding, 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 ding. Fireworks. All of a sudden you're like saying all this amazing stuff. If you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus, obey him in the small things. Obey him in the small things. And what is he saying in this little hymn, this little song, this little prophecy? And we'll just finish with this. Is it something new? Has this not been heard before? Or is it something very old, true, consistent, and eternal? I see something I've seen before. In fact, no matter what you may hear, in our current day and age, and you will hear it, even from some who might say, no, 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 I represent Jesus and his word. I'm a Christian too. Here's the truth. The word of God always speaks the same truth. The word of God always speaks the same truth. He wasn't saying one thing then, and now we get to make it our own now. There's no change of interpretation. <clears throat> Excuse me. There's no adjustment to the culture or the times that we may live on, live in. When God gets a hold of a voice and gives somebody truth to impart from his word, it always says the same thing. It doesn't mean we won't bring context or creative ways to illustrate, but the truth of the core of the, the, core of the message will be the same. That doesn't mean there won't be those who will try to tell you differently. They will, they have. It will sound good. It will sound like it's the right thing to do. Let me give you two. Two current ones, ways that the word of God is being twisted. Ready? First one is this. God loves you. He is love. He cares about you. Jesus came to be a good example. His words are good and without error, but we have to make sure we have the right words and the right message that's without error. He wants you to be you. Don't let anybody tell you, you can't be all that you can be and do whatever you want. That's a current one. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? It's wrong. It's not what is being said. It's not what Zechariah just said. What's salvation? 
Forgiveness from sins. That's it. That's what he's saying. Here's another one. This is another new and twisted interpretation. People may say, I believe in the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus, yeah. He's resurrected. Just in the same way that he appeared to the disciples and he appeared to Paul, you know, in their hearts, in their spirit. Sure, he resurrected, came to life. His teachings are living on. His life was born in their hearts. He arose in their hearts, became important in their life. That is a new interpretation of resurrection. Foundation of a lot of churches that would say that's what we believe and it couldn't be more wrong. You'll hear new ways of reading and speaking God's word that are better and more acceptable that fit our need and our culture. Zechariah actually was tempted to do it himself. If he's rearranging God's promises for his own needs, what are the needs right then? We need political peace, God. Rome has us under a, an oppressive, tyrannical government. We need peace from that. In Zechariah's mind, what does he think the Messiah will do? Make peace. Make peace in the world. I just want the ability to raise my family in peace and worship just the way I want. Sound familiar? That's not the plan. It's not what God's word says. If anything, Jesus said the opposite. In this world, you will have trouble. <laughs> it's going to be that way. It's going to be difficult. So our attempts to make his word more palatable and acceptable will always fall short of his plan for us and for the world. So what does it say? And let me just give you a few things. Um, and I want to give you a couple of highlights. I want to encourage you to spend time with the Lord. If you're looking for a place to start, Luke, our, the gospel we're in, we give questions every week. So if you download the app, there's questions there to go deeper, to ask questions like this. But let me give you a few highlights from what Zechariah said. First thing is we got an enemy. And that enemy isn't Rome. That enemy is Satan. That enemy is the deceiver and destructive one who wants us to die eternally, separated from God. <clears throat> and our biggest enemy actually is our sin and that we have a sin nature. Second thing, God in his mercy has remembered. He doesn't forget his covenant and he's coming. God is coming. He has sent us a mighty savior. You'd think his song would have been about, this is amazing, my kid is gonna be awesome. And he says a few things about John, but mostly he's talking about the savior that is to come. And we are gonna need salvation. And what is that salvation? from our sins through repentance and forgiveness. So in a nutshell, here's Zechariah's message. Here is the message that does not change. Here's the message that Genesis to Revelation, actually Genesis to maps, it's the same, no matter what. And it's this, you need saving from your sins and the only one who can do it is God himself. That's the message. Anyone who tells you different is lying. Lying. And Luke's going to continue to unfold this reality for us, but that's the basic thing. Turn from your sins. That's your job. Turn. He speaks to his little boy. You're going to be his voice and you're going to tell them how to find him. And lo and behold, we're going to see, but what does John tell everybody to do? Does he say, God loves you and everything's going to be okay if you just be you? 
He says, repent, turn, turn from your sinfulness. I love this. John lived in the wilderness, alone, in silence, in quiet, before he actually said a word, kind of like his dad. The Lord does good things. So I'll finish with this. I heard a mathematician speak yesterday, just a podcast, while I was trying to get through the stuff I had to do at my house. Um, And he said this, he said, our culture has a train coming for it and it has no brakes. And there's a lot of things he said about that. And I think a lot of things you probably already know, I won't go into them, but they were very dire things that what it means for not just us, for our country, but for the world. He says that train is coming and he goes and the brakes are off no matter what. So you're like, <gasps> but you know what? As I started thinking about that, I started thinking about this old song. People get ready, there's a train coming. <clears throat> I don't know if you know that one. You don't need no ticket, you just get on board because Jesus has done it for you. What do I put my hope in? There's another train coming. The same one that Zechariah prophesied about, the same one that his son is going to carry that message for people. And it cannot be stopped. It cannot be stopped. And the tracks, whether you want them to or not, the tracks of that train lead straight to your heart. And you'll either be saying, I've been waiting for you. Or you'll say, I didn't think you'd actually come. Your choice of how you will be found in that moment. Let's pray together. Worship team, come on up. Lord, I I just love you. I love um, just thinking about these stories. I love trying to be a fly on the wall, um, seeing Elizabeth and Zechariah interact over those nine months. I love thinking about the neighbors and the way they would have just been aghast at what was happening. Um, Mostly, I I love thinking about just your amazing plan. Lord, we're so thankful for this interesting time in our world. Uh, Lord, I want to pray for us. I want to pray for our friends in Seattle, Epic Life Church. Um, God, would you give us grace the same way you did for Zechariah and Elizabeth and for Mary and Joseph. Would you give us the grace to carry the Son of God well, to represent you well? Lord, would we stand with your word? Would we not bow to culture? Would we bow to you? Let us do it with grace and mercy. God, when others are saying, we gotta do something for ourselves, we gotta fight. May we say, oh, we actually have a captain, captain of the army of the Lord of hosts is on our side. God, we're desperate for you. We need you. Or as we face the storms that we know are coming, may we find a peace that is the river of God fountain of life flowing from within us, Lord. And even as the world rages on, we will be able to say, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. My Savior lives. 
God, as we uh, sing one more song together, would you minister to us? Would you bless us, Lord, with understanding? Would you illuminate our hearts in the way your Holy Spirit can? Lord, if we act at all, may it be in obedience and according to the grace that's being provided to us by your Spirit. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. Hey, why don't we stand and sing together?